What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Welcome in to Saturday Sports Talk. Good Saturday morning. Saturday Sports Talk is live because Tennessee football played on Thursday. I'm Joel Silverberg with Logan Ward from the Budweiser Studios of Cumulus Broadcasting. 656-9900 if you want to talk to us. Star 990, a free call for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number 1-866-656-9900. A lot to get to today. Tennessee football is 1-0. And... Now Tennessee turns its attention to Pitt, which will be coming to Neyland Stadium next Saturday. And I, I think for Tennessee, a lot to dissect, a lot to uncover from Tennessee's win over Bowling Green on Thursday night. We invite you to join us at 656-9900 if you want to get in on the conversation. We'll hit a scoreboard watch here really quick. Some notable high school football scores from around the area. And I... I thought it was interesting, probably one of the biggest stories of the day, and, and you knew that they were a really good football program, but Greenville crushing Elizabethan 42-12. to That ends a 31-game win streak for the Cyclones and, and Coach Sean Witten, Jason Witten's brother out there. So really, a uh, really impressive run comes to an end, but a really impressive win for Greenville. Jefferson County beat William Blunt 17-14. to Dobbins Bennett crushed Morristown East 43-7. to Science Hill beat Westridge 40 to 21. Anderson County beat Fulton 43 to 20. Gatlinburg Pittman on top of Austin East 44 to 27. Bradley Central beat Cleveland 28 to 14. Cock County beat Heritage 29 to 27. Maryville beat Farragut 42 to 14. Farragut now 0 and 3 in a really uh, in a in a big Region 2 6A matchup and so now Farragut falls to 0 and 3. After the loss to Maryville last night, Carter beat Gibbs 42 to 35. Look at Carter with a three and zero start. Bearden beat Hardin Valley 42 to seven. Coalfield beat Harriman 62 to 18. Central beat Sevier County 35 to 13. So Central now on the win column at one and two after dropping its two opening games to Greenville and uh, Fulton last week. South Doyle beat Scott County 42 to 10. West beat Halls 30 to 22. Oak Ridge picked up its first win of the season beating Clinton 22 to 7. Powell beat Carnes 47 to 20. Powell now 2 and 1. They bounced back from the loss to Maryville last week. Loudon beat Boone 34 to 21. Kingston beat Brainerd 45 to 6. Signal Mountain beating McMinn Central 17 to 15. And Again, uh, and, a, and a big win for Knoxville Catholic. They knock off Baylor 24-14. to 14, So a handful of scores from around the area. We'll have more coverage for you next week beginning on Thursday. Of course, no rivalry Thursday game for us to cover this week because they took the night off for Tennessee football after the Vols flexed their season opener against Bowling Green to Thursday. But always enjoy our coverage of high school football in East Tennessee. Uh, looking around the rest of the sports world, uh, some pretty big upsets last night at the U.S. Open. Naomi Osaka goes down in three sets. And then in the men's draw, two of the top five seeds lose. Stefano Tsitsipas loses to 18-year-old Carlos Alcaraz. 
in five sets. And then Francis Tiafo, the young American, he upsets Andre Rublev, the number five seed. So Tiafo is on to the fourth round and monster win for him. So Tiafo has now upset two top five players at the last two Grand Slams of the year. He beat Sitsipas in the first round at Wimbledon. And now we get into some of the good stuff with college football last night. Again, week got started technically on Wednesday with UMB, UAB and Jacksonville State. But then on Thursday, you had some scores there. UCF rallied to stun Boise State. So Gus Malzahn off to a good start in his tenure. Minnesota gave Ohio State a scare. Ultimately, the Buckeyes pulled away. Tennessee, of course, beat Bowling Green 38-6. to But last night, Logan, and, and I, I may have to double-check the Colorado line, but looking at the scores here, I don't think a single favorite covered the spread last night. No, they didn't. None and, of them did. You know, I was on North Carolina minus five and a half. And Same. Just came out and laid an absolute egg all night long. If I would have told you, Joel, that North Carolina would have held Virginia Tech to 17 points, how much money would you have lost? You would have lost some money on that because you think, okay, 17 points, you know, Sam Howell, North Carolina of offense, we're literally everyone you is You would have back. thought North Carolina was good for 23 to exactly. cover the spread. It will, heck, not even 23, like 30. So bad loss for North Carolina. They were probably too high ranked in the AP poll at number 10. Sam Heisman's hopes, I mean, definitely took a hit. And a lot of people kind of had North Carolina on the outside looking in, potentially challenging Clemson in the ACC to make the college football playoff. That's no longer the case at all. Last night was a bad night for North Carolina. It was a bad night for a lot of teams uh, when you consider some of these some of these results. Uh, Duke losing to Charlotte 31 to 28. Wake Forest beat Old Dominion 42 to 10. The spread was 35 and a half. Eastern Michigan beat St. Francis. I think that spread was 30. Kansas beat South Dakota 17 to 14. That spread was 11. Michigan State was an underdog against Northwestern. The Spartans destroyed the reigning Big Ten West champions 38 to 21. Colorado beat Northern Colorado 35 to 7. Colorado State losing to South Dakota State 42 to 23. They lose by 19. The Jackrabbits. Right? Isn't that their mascot? The Jackrabbits? Yep, the Jackrabbits. Uh, what notable NFL player is from South Dakota State? I know Trey Lynch is from North Dakota State. Um, I have no idea. He was in the NFL for so long that he had teammates who weren't born when he began his NFL career. Four-time Super Bowl champion. No clue. Adam Venateri. Oh, okay. Oh, it had to be a kicker. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, that's probably why I didn't know because yeah. he was a kicker. Adam Adam Venateri is uh, widely considered to be the most famous football player to ever come out of the state of South Dakota. He's from Rapid City, went to South Dakota State, of course, went undrafted in 1996 before signing on with the Patriots, won three Super Bowls there, won another with the Colts, future Hall of Fame kicker. Adam Vinatieri. So South Dakota State picks up the win, but the 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 most notable result, I think, and and really you've got the Duke one is notable. Michigan State Northwestern is, is a big game. That's a a Big Ten win to start off the season for the Spartans and Mel Tucker's second season. But North Carolina was a team that had all sorts of hype surrounding it. Dark horse playoff team. Could they be number two to Clemson? Could Sam Howell win the Heisman? 
And and last week when we made our our college football picks, I took Sam Howell to win the Heisman Trophy mainly because Spencer Rattler seems like the only viable candidate, but it's never the favorite at the beginning of the right, season right. to go wire to wire. I think about it, like Tua never won the Heisman, Trevor Lawrence never won the Heisman. So usually there's some sort of breakout star. And you can, as we've seen in somewhat recent history, you can go nine and three and win the Heisman Trophy. Tim Tebow did it. Lamar Jackson did it. Robert Griffin III did it. If you put up big enough numbers and the national title contenders don't have that clear cut candidate, then you can, you can do that. You can lose a couple games. And, you know, if you're North Carolina, you can lose to Clemson and your quarterback can still win the Heisman Trophy. But I, so I, I did take Sam Howell as my Heisman Trophy winner. But I was not willing to take North Carolina as my sleeper playoff team because of moments like this. Now, I didn't think it was going to happen against Virginia Tech. I thought it was going to happen later in the season against somebody else. But uh, because I'm really I haven't been high on Virginia Tech. They just haven't been great over the last couple of seasons under Justin Fuente. So I, I looked at more like Iowa State. Georgia doesn't really count. A lot of people think Georgia is going to beat Alabama this year anyway. But when I looked at teams outside the top five, Iowa State was the team I looked at the most because a lot of guys on offense coming back. They've beaten Oklahoma a couple of times under Matt Campbell already. The rest of the Big 12 feels fairly wide open. You know, Maybe they can make a run. But North Carolina, to me, is a team that stubs its toe too much because it relies so much on its offense. And last night, its defense did the work. I think any North Carolina fan, if you had told them, yeah, Virginia Tech's going to score 17, I think anybody would have taken that. I think anybody hoping for a North Carolina win would have taken that. Sam Howe got picked off three times in this game. Virginia Tech, it, it started to look like Beamer Ball out there at one point. Just making big plays on defense. They were relentless. I know North Carolina was down a couple of guys on offense, but Sam Howell, just a, a horrific night for him. I mean... Virginia Tech only had 296 yards of total offense, and they still won the game. Yeah. And North Carolina had 77% of its offensive production coming back. Basically, all of its production, you add Ty Chandler, a Tennessee transfer, and then just come out. I mean, they didn't even look comfortable from the get-go. Sam Howell throwing off his back foot. The last interception he threw, Joel, where, where it looked like he was about to get sacked and kind of, you know, spun around and then just tried to throw it out of bounds, but he threw it right to a Virginia Tech Hokie. I mean, just an incredibly, incredibly bad night for a team that a lot of people had high hopes for. I mean, Joel, I mean, you said you had somehow win the Heisman. That's definitely not going to happen anymore. Just a team trying to break through and challenge Clemson and, and, and maybe, you know, vie and push for a college football playoff spot. That's, that's all over now. And week one. Yeah, I mean, if you're North Carolina, you essentially have to run the table and then somehow beat Clemson in the ACC title right. game. And based on what we saw last night, that is, that's just not going to happen. And credit to Virginia Tech. I mean, I, th I think Justin Fuente, I, I thought his first couple of seasons, he didn't get enough credit. And then the last couple of seasons, I thought maybe at times he got too much credit uh, because I, I just, I thought that they were okay when he first got there, taking over for Frank Beamer, which of course is, not easy after he came over from Maryland, but his first couple of seasons, they went 10 and four, nine and four, then six and seven after a bowl loss, eight and five. They were five and six last year, which ended a really lengthy, uh, or, you know, ended their bowl streak. And now they're off to a really good start after a really disappointing season a year ago. They went five and five in ACC play last year, but they had that non conference loss to Liberty 
after the whole blocked field goal, there was a timeout called, and then Liberty was able to kick the game-winning field goal, and so they they end up losing to Liberty, lose to Miami by one, lost to Wake Forest by a touchdown, lost a shootout to North Carolina, and that was, I, I think, what was a big turning point is that last year, North Carolina beat Virginia Tech 56-45, to and so for Fuente to come out and make a statement with his defense, I thought that was really impressive, and so you know, the Hokies miss out on going to a bowl game last year. And now they're off to a really good start in year number six for Justin Fuente. And and so I'm not necessarily saying that we, we need to start taking Virginia Tech more seriously. No, I, I think North Carolina should have been the better team. But you look the rest of the way. You, and, and here's the thing. This is why it's such a missed opportunity because the rest of the schedule until you get to mid-October should be a cakewalk for North Carolina. You get Georgia State at home, you get Virginia at home, you get Georgia Tech at home, then you get Duke at home. Then you get Florida State, Miami. I mean, according to this schedule, North Carolina doesn't go on the road again until they head to Notre Dame on October 30th. They've only got four road games on the schedule. So, just, just an absolute disaster of a start to the season for what happened last night now, and that Georgia tech game is going to be played at a neutral location, but they, they don't have a true road game until October 30th when they take on Notre Dame. So the schedule was really opening up for North Carolina and they go out and lay an egg in week one. I mean, yeah, it just, I mean, I don't know what, what other way to put it. You know, I didn't, you know, watch the game that closely. So I'm not going to give you any dissection. It's just, they never looked comfortable, you know, Justin Puente was coaching for his job and is coaching for his job this year. Blacksburg, I get it. Yes, Sandman, the entrance is is awesome, and people get chills watching that like I did last night going back on Twitter and watching that. Blacksburg's a very, very tough place to play, but not the start you want for uh, a Mac Brown coach team in North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Hey, Ty Chandler looked okay last night. 10 carries, 66 yards, one catch for nine yards. So, yeah, with what he did, you know, you... Six yards a carry. Yeah, he and, played, and, uh, but, he played you know, a lot. Probably could have gotten more touches. Right. I, I think he needs more than 11 touches. I think he's a good enough player with the way that Mac Brown talked about him and how how big of a uh, of an addition he was. And, and he was the game's leading rusher. I, I thought they could have given him the ball more is the one thing that I probably would have pointed to. But instead, North Carolina's 0-1. Virginia Tech is 1-0. And... Now it's it's a it's a rough start because that's also an ACC loss. So you had a couple of other ACC schools in action last night. Again, we mentioned Wake Forest winning. We mentioned uh, Duke falling to Charlotte. So an, a big upset there to start the season. And I think Duke was only a, a six and a half point favorite. But still, that's that's just a tough loss to take in non conference to begin the season. And then Kansas beating South Dakota. Not South Dakota State, South Dakota. Kansas, I love everything about this. Kansas beats South Dakota 17-14 to 14 in a game where everything was ugly. Kansas jumped out to a 10-0 lead. South Dakota scores two touchdowns. They score the go-ahead touchdown midway through the fourth quarter. Kansas scores with a minute left with a 
Jason Bean touchdown pass to Lawrence Arnold with a minute and 10 seconds to go. They win the game 17 to 14. And then after beating an FCS school by three points, Kansas storms the field. Yes. I can remember doing this at a high school here in town that, you know, I'll, that, that will remain nameless because the, we weren't great at football then, Joel, and we only won, I think, in my high school career, we only won about five games the four years that I was there. And our last year, we beat some, you know, terrible school, and we stormed the field. Now, you know, I get it. You you are kind of, you know, young, dumb, and stupid in, in high school and college, and, you know, college students and high school students do very crazy things and celebrate wins where you haven't won a game in, you know, forever. Um, we We did that in high school, so that, you know, Made me laugh, but hey, Kansas fans are just like, you won, that's good, let's get to basketball season. Let's get to basketball season. Yeah, this is uh, this is just painful to watch, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. I saw it on Twitter, and I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Just wild. Yeah, uh, Baller Vault tweets in saying, at Joel Silverberg, imagine being Kansas and storming the field after beating an FCS. He says FBS school, but I think he meant to type FCS. My goodness. They were an 11.5-point favorite, too. And that line was up. And the touchdown, I don't know if you saw the touchdown pass, but it's second and 15 at the 16-yard line. They throw a stop route to about the 7, and two South Dakota defenders run into each other. (laughs) It's like... It's like something out of a sitcom as to how Kansas comes away with this win. Yeah, I didn't watch it, but I could imagine, you know, Kansas football, I would imagine it's not great, great football being played. Oh, no, it's not. Of course no, not. Are yeah. you kidding? Here's the thing. Like, I, Logan, you weren't born when this happened, but back in 2007. I'm just kidding. Um, but back in 2000. Back in my day, so yeah, story. Back in my day. Yeah. No, but in 2007, Kansas won the Orange Bowl. Yeah. Like in 2007, like that's not ancient history. That's 14 years ago. Kansas won the Orange Bowl. And that's one of the crazy stats that I bring up. The last time, since the last time Tennessee won the SEC East, this list of things that has happened. Kansas winning the Orange Bowl is one of the first things I always mention. That's why it's so annoying. Like, yes, the SEC is such a difficult conference to win. But there are things that are so less likely to happen in college football that have happened since then. And one of them is Kansas has won the Orange Bowl. The other is that Wake Forest has won the ACC. Not just played in the ACC title game. They have won the ACC championship game. Duke has played for an ACC title game. Like, things that you thought would just never happen in college football. And that's what's so wild about it. But Kansas won the Orange Bowl. With a five foot nine quarterback in Todd Reesing. And now they're storming the field 14 years later after beating an FCS school with a game winning touchdown at home. Yeah. A lot's happened since 07, since Tennessee won the East. But hey, you know, started off on a good note Thursday night. They did, and we will discuss that on the other side. 656 9900. What are your takeaways? What are your thoughts? From Tennessee's season-opening win against Bowling Green. With Logan Ward, I'm Joel Silverberg from the Budweiser Studios of Cumulus Broadcasting. This is Saturday Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. Saturday Sports Talk rolls on. You get an extra show of the lead lap coming up at 10 o'clock. The fastest two hours in radio. Cup Series is really heating up. Ron, Chris, and company will have you taken care of. 
coming up in about an hour and 35 minutes. 656-9900 if you want to join us. What did you think about Tennessee's season opener? The Vols beat Bowling Green 38-6. to This was a significantly worse Bowling Green squad than the team that Tennessee met in Nashville to kick off the 2015 season. Bowling Green, of course, coming off a winless five-game season, shortened season in Maction last year. Bowling Green scored 57 points in five games total in an all-max schedule and then managed to put up six points against Tennessee. A couple of long field goals for Bowling Green, too, including a career-long 50-yarder for Bowling Green's kicker. But outside of that, nothing doing for Bowling Green offensively. Joe Milton getting his first start. What did you think? 656-9900. We go to the phones and talk to Toby. Toby, good morning. You're on Saturday Sports Talk. Hey, good morning, guys. Morning. I, uh, as far as taking away from the game, it, it's kind of it's too hard to judge because I think that was a very poor team that we played. Um, just a couple of thoughts. Um, I thought quarterback play. I, I just think Milton had too long to try to make a decision. He was back there. He could eat a hot dog before he threw it. So I thought he was trying to do too much and just instead of, you know, running the play. But I think that the thing that stood out to me, and I don't know names very well, but on the offensive line, 75 and 76, I thought we had something for the first time that I hadn't seen in a long time. They seemed mean. Like, we haven't had offensive linemen that just had a a sour disposition. And those guys were – anytime somebody was bumping one of our players, they were hitting them, they were, you know – I don't know. I thought they were a lot more physical and aggressive than I've seen offensive linemen in Tennessee in a while. Not just those two guys, but I'm just saying they kind of stood out as like a hockey enforcer almost. So I just want to know what you guys thought. Yeah, Toby, appreciate the phone call. I, I thought, and you're talking about Jerome Carvin and Javante Spragans at 75 and 76, and Spragans was a guy that Trey Smith spoke very highly of last year when he was a freshman. And I'd probably throw in Trey Smith as a guy that has that mean streak. I'll never forget the highlight of him just throwing himself into two Indiana defenders to set up a block downfield on a screen pass because it was so funny the way that he did it. Like it was, it was a big play, but it looked like something out of the longest yard, the remake movie, <laughs> not the original. But yeah, I, I think Cade Mays is a guy that contributes to that, and I think having his brother Cooper there, there are guys that kind of know how to do that because they had a bit of that swagger when they were at Knoxville Catholic together. So. I thought the offensive line did some good things at times. It did feel like some of the sacks that Joe Milton took were more of a matter of hanging on to the ball too long, not so much a lack of protection. Now we'll see what that looks like against a team like Pitt that traditionally in recent years has had a pretty good front seven. I would expect to see a better pass rush, but all in all, there's not really much I can complain about with the offensive line because I thought Tennessee ran the ball really well also. I mean, like like Toby said, I mean, Joe Milton had all the, all the time in the world sit back there and you know just stand still really much Joe I mean I mean he looked like a a statue at times and you know Joe Milton you know okay I get you know game one new system didn't arrive really really on campus during the spring well he didn't actually but you know I mean I think some of the hate on you know Joe Milton you know I get it it's Bowling Green you want to put up more than 38 points you want to cover a a large number, but I mean, Joel, I don't think that there's much to complain about just because, hey, Tennessee won. You know, I get Bowling Green, they're significantly worse than even Georgia State was whenever they beat Tennessee inside Neyland Stadium. 
a few years ago. But I think moving forward, Joel Milton, he has to get better. I think that he's just a slow reader, Joel, and that is a lot of the problems that Jared Garantano have. Not that I'm comparing the two yet, but Joel Milton, it just seems like while he was back in the pocket, standing still, had all the time in the world to throw, he missed a whole bunch of guys from what I saw to where if he hits this guy over the middle, down the sideline, whatever, you know, Tennessee's off and rolling, and the offense doesn't sputter the way that it did. Joe Milton has a lot to improve on. The whole team has a lot to improve on. But, you know, the offensive line, I was very impressed with, with the offensive line. I was as well, and, and I kind of joked, you know, during the game, I was texting you and Eric, and I said, you know, if, if Tennessee really just wanted to stick to the run, they could have rushed for you know over 300 yards in this game, which and that they was had, the case in the second half, which they ended yeah. up doing. Yeah, they ended up rushing for 326 yards. And if and here's the thing: when you've got Tyon Evans and Jabari Small, you're going to spread the wealth around. When you've got a quarterback that can run a little bit with Joe Milton, he could keep it on that read option. He's willing to run at least, and you're going to get some of the backups in there. But honestly, if Tennessee had gone into the game saying we're going to have somebody break Chuck Webb's single game rushing record tonight. They could have done it. They ran against Bowling Green as much as they wanted to, really with the exception of the fourth down that they failed to convert, which I think was frustrating for a lot of people to watch. But Tennessee ran for over 300 yards. Tyon Evans and Jabari Small both rushed for 116 yards. Joe Milton, 44 yards and two touchdowns. I I thought that Tennessee was just able to do whatever it wanted and then some on the ground. I understand why you're trying to get the passing game in motion. I wonder if maybe that was part of it with Milton. He's wanting to sit back in the pocket, waiting for somebody to get open because he's looking for the big play because he knows he's playing against Bowling Green. But still, what is that going to look like when Tennessee faces Pittsburgh next Saturday? And faces a pretty good defense in Pittsburgh. And then, you know, the SEC, you know, defense I get last year wasn't great. I would expect him to be much better this year. Tennessee is going to have to figure out some sort of down-the-field passing game. And I think that that was the knock you know, you know, on Joe Milton at Michigan. Yes, he, he has an absolute bazooka of an arm. He just doesn't really have any touch. I mean, I mean, he overthrew Cedric Tillman twice. Both were easy walk-in touchdowns. Now ends up hitting Cedric Tillman late in the game for a long touchdown drive. But I think that Joe Milton needs to develop some sort of touch and some sort of, you know, off-speed pits to try to fit balls into tight windows, you know, drop a little dimes over defender's shoulders, Right now, it's, it looks like Tennessee doesn't really trust him throwing the football just because it's such a big arm, and he really just seems like a fastball pitcher to me. Yeah, kind of like the Araldis Chapman of college football yeah, almost. Exactly, yes. I, I, yeah, I thought at times the arm strength that's on display, it's definitely there, but that touch needs to be there as well because twice he overthrew Cedric Tillman, including once where he outran two receivers. Then he managed to find Tillman in the end zone, but that's more of a sitting pass. And honestly, I thought the ball was actually a little underthrown just with where he put it. And the Hail Mary at the end of the first half, I thought was actually well done. I thought he put it in a good spot where somebody would have had a chance to go make a play. There was enough air under it too, where receivers were able to get under the ball. So I, I I thought it was actually, I, I thought there were, I thought the arm strength is there. I think the talent is there. But there's a lot of loose ends that need to be tied together. And and we'll see. I, I, I think it's important that we pump the brakes on the argument of, you know, because we took phone calls yesterday on Sports 180 that, oh, it needs to be Harrison Bailey. 
Look, I, I think Harrison Bailey's the third string yeah, quarterback, I don't, just yeah, personally. I, I know on I the depth so. chart they listed Hooker or Bailey as the number two guy. I I think Bailey is the number three right now, just being quite honest. I would and agree. I think Milton has the highest upside. Hooker is the most proven college quarterback. He has accomplished the most out of all three guys at the collegiate level. Hendon Hooker has accomplished more than Joe Milton and Harrison Bailey. Now, granted, there's still a reason that Milton and Hooker are at Tennessee because they lost their starting jobs at their former Power 5 schools. But Hooker's an athletic quarterback that has some talent. And it, it was funny because whenever I asked somebody that was not in the Knoxville area what they thought about the quarterback situation, whenever I asked somebody in Knoxville, the thought was, yeah, it's probably going to be Joe Milton just because of his arm talent, his upside. And that's coming from the guys that are watching Tennessee football practice. But whenever I asked Will Shelton of Game Day on Rocky Top, Barrett Salee, uh, uh, Bill Conley of ESPN, whenever I asked a national analyst or a regional analyst, the response was always, Hendon Hooker looks to be the best quarterback out there in terms of just what we've seen on the field so far. The film that we have from Hooker at Virginia Tech, from Milton at Michigan, from Bailey at Tennessee last year, the thought from the national standpoint was that Hooker was the better quarterback. Regionally, locally, it was more Joe Milton, and Joe Milton ended up winning the starting job. But I also think part of it, before we get on the train of we need to change up the quarterback, is it's Milton's first game in Neyland Stadium, one game. early season, first game in a Tennessee uniform, You've got full state. Also, you've got full capacity crowds back. Last year, you didn't have those. So you, you have larger crowds. You're not playing in just in front of 25,000 people. You're going to be, if it's a full crowd at Neyland Stadium, you're playing in 102, 455. I, I think there's some jitters that have to get knocked out of the way. And there are some accuracy issues that need to be cleaned up. And, and Hypo kind of pointed that out. He said, look, there are some things that we've got to correct in a hurry. Uh, but all in all, I thought it was good for our kids to get out of here, get out in front of our fans, our coaches too. So not a great stat line for Milton, 11 of 23, 140 yards. He did account for three total touchdowns. You'd like to see more from the passing game. Jalen Hyatt can't drop footballs. That's another part of the problem. It's not like it was all on Milton. There were two really good passes to Jalen Hyatt that he dropped. Uh, and that's the guy that I think a lot of people thought should take over the wide receiving core this year. I know Valus Jones Jr., is expected to to be a part, you know, have a big part in the offense as well. But Jalen Hyatt is expected to be the guy in the receiving core, the big playmaker who can take the top off a of defense and who who could do a lot of great things. He's got to be able to hold on to the football. So there are some things that have to be cleaned up, not just from the quarterback standpoint, but all across the passing game as well. And back to Milton for a second. I think a lot of people see the talent there. They see the potential there. They see. He's 6'4", 245. He, he's a big, big guy who has a humongous arm. I think a lot of people see that stuff and they think, okay, Cam Newton, you know, this big bruiser, a really good runner, which, I mean, I was impressed with him. I mean, moving out of the pocket, had two rushing touchdowns. I think a lot of people, see, you know, look at his bio, look at his, you know, physique and that huge arm and think, you know, this guy, he's going to come in right away and he's going to be a really good quarterback on for Josh Heupel, Josh Heupel, everywhere he's been has gotten good production. I'm um, out of quarterback, Oklahoma, Missouri, definitely UCF. Everywhere he's been, he's gotten great production outside of the quarterback room. But in Michigan, I mean, it was very much like what we saw on Thursday night. Joe Milton, huge arm, not a lot of touch on the ball. You know, Joe Milton had some, you know, 300 yard games at Michigan last season against, you know, not great talent. I will add that 
Michigan State, not any good. Indiana, whatever, sure. A lot of people, I think, had unrealistic expectations for Milton coming in just based off the fact Heupel has developed quarterback everywhere he's been, and also Joe Milton has a bazooka of an arm. It's going to take some development. And certain, 100% Joe, he is running a very, very different system than than what he was running with Jim Harbaugh. A very different system. He missed spring ball. He's only been on campus since May, really in the program since, I would say, you know, June, as far as getting on the field with the receivers. Yes, Jalen Hyatt cannot drop passes. I, w- I was very impressed with Cedric Tillman. He's not very fast, and he was able to get behind the defense several times. I think there's talent on that offense. It's got to come down to the quarterback position, though, to take the next step. And whenever we get back from a break, I want to ask you, did your season outlook change off last night? Well, excuse me, off Thursday night. I know it's crazy. It's game one, but I want to ask you that. And what do you think? You can answer that question as well at 656-9900. Did the outlook, did your personal outlook on Tennessee's football season change, better or worse, based on Thursday night's performance against Tennessee beating Bowling Green 38-6 to at Neyland Stadium on Thursday night? The Vols will take on Pitt next week. Pitt takes on UMass today at 4 o'clock to open their season. 656-9900, outside the local calling area. Star 990, a free call for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. With Logan Ward, I'm Joel Silverberg from the Budweiser Studios of Cumulus Broadcasting. This is Saturday Sports Talk on FM 991, the sports animal. 656-9900, has your outlook on the season changed based on what you saw from Tennessee on Thursday, the Vols beat Bowling Green 38-6, to 656-9900. We go back to the phones and talk to Zane. Zane, good morning. You're on Saturday Sports Talk. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing this morning? Good, thank you. Good, awesome. Hey, so, you know, my expectations haven't changed. I still think we're going to end up 6-6, six and six, maybe 7-5, and five, right? Um, we could possibly get an eighth win in there somewhere, but my... My, my my big thing was you know, watching the offense, seeing Milton like he had all day against Bowling Green, and you know when he's standing back there directing traffic and pointing, and we're still dropping passes. That's that's one thing that makes me nervous. That and man, he's got a cannon for an arm, but you got to you got to put a little touch on some of these deep balls he's throwing. I mean, I just kind of wanted to get y'all's thoughts on that. I thought the defense looked good overall. Granted, Bowling Green's not a good offense. Um, but, you know, I, I think this upcoming Saturday is going to be the real test. Yeah, I agree, Zane. I, I think this pit game is going to be a really good barometer for where Tennessee's at. And I know a lot of fans have maybe emphasized the Ole Miss game because it's the return of Lane Kiffin, the Kentucky game because of what happened last year, the Missouri game because of the expectation that the Tigers have with Eli Drinkwitz in his second year. And now that they have Connor Bazelak solidified as their starting quarterback, that I think this Pittsburgh game is so important because. You know, we talk about the changing of the outlook. If you lose to Pitt, you start thinking, okay, how can Tennessee get to six wins if you don't beat Pitt? And then if you beat Pittsburgh with Tennessee Tech coming into town in two weeks, then it's suddenly, hey, Tennessee's going to be 3-0 and when it faces Florida. So just the outlook of the entire season in the short term really does change based on the outcome of next Saturday. It really does, and, and you know, guys, like, like as much as I want to beat Florida, I don't know that we can do it this year. Like, I like every ounce, every bone, every drop of blood in my body wants to beat Florida. It's always a good day when you beat Florida in any sport, um, but I just I don't know that we can do it. I'd love for us to go out there and do it, but I just don't know. 
Yeah, I don't know if this is the year, Florida, Alabama, or Georgia. I don't know if you're picking up an upset. I, I think Florida, with Dan Mullen, his his track record with quarterbacks, I know they're having to replace Kyle Trask, but I, I think Emory Jones having a full offseason, going through the motions as being the guy and with the expectation that he's going to be on the field, I don't think Florida's going to be as sharp offensively as they were a year ago. I still think they're going to be really good. That's going to be a tall task for Tennessee. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think they're competing with Georgia for the East this year. So that's that's kind of you know, it's Florida and Georgia this year. I just I'd love to 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 beat one of those, um, but man, it's it's so much sweeter when you beat Florida. Just you know, me growing up, I'm used to us beating Georgia all the time, even when they were good. Um, now that's not as been as much in recent history, but Florida was one that man, you just you just can't stand them. Um, and you just, you just want to beat them, and that's that's a bigger game to me than any other game on the schedule. So that's you know that's what I want. Now we'll see. I, I do think the high paced offense it looked great in the first quarter, looked great in the fourth quarter, but the in between, you know, we've got to stay ahead of the, ahead of the chains. Um, I think that's the key for the offense. If they can stay ahead of the chains and be uh, third and short. Or just keep you know first down, first down. Um, but third and short's the key because it seemed like uh, when we got into third longs is when we struggled. That and the defense somehow we've got to fix the wheel route problem. That's been a problem for years. Uh, I don't know if we're just not seeing it um, or what, but yeah. Anyways, I'll hang up and listen. All right, Zane, appreciate the call. Hope you have a great weekend. And I I think there's some legitimacy to that argument just with making sure that you avoid those third and long type situations if you're going to have inconsistencies with your quarterback the arm strength will be there but trying to find stability in the passing game is going to be really important and and you're going to need to be you're going to have to convert some third and longs this year because every football team does but man oh man it's uh it can be tough when you're when you're having to go backwards in Tennessee for the last couple of seasons that's kind of been the issue with the offense is putting itself in third and long type situations. But I, I think for Tennessee, it's it's going to come down to Milton's development. Josh Heupel has had success coaching quarterbacks, coaching offenses. Let's see what he can do over the course of the year with the project that is Joe Milton this season. And we saw, you know, what was good about the style of offense and what was bad about the style of offense, right? Because when it's going good, the first two drives of the game, they're scoring very, very quickly. When it's not going good, the second quarter to about you know midway in the third quarter, you're three and out, and your defense is back on the field in like a minute. And that's where you start to get blown out, where Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Ole Miss, teams that can score at you know crazy paces, whenever you're going three and out, putting your defense back on the field in literally five minutes, not five minutes of game time, five minutes of actual time in general when the defense is constantly on the field I think that's going to come a major part in this season can they just stay ahead of the sticks Zane mentioned that can they stay ahead of the uh, the sticks when on first down you know get to you know third and five or fewer third and two third and one third and you know fewer and convert third downs and not leave your defense in bad stop, spots whenever they give up a long touchdown drive and then all of a sudden offense back on the field you go three and out and they're back on the field one minute later because that's where teams like this that run this style of offense and UCF kind of had some issues with this Missouri kind of had some issues with this under Josh Heupel when it's not going good it's you get blown out type of bad 
And I, I and when you're when you don't have the electric offense and the playmakers to where you can rely on yourself to be and able Tennessee to go out. Don't have that. Let's be honest. Yeah. Tennessee does but, not but like have you, that right you look now. At what Al, and Alabama's had it for years. I know last year it was on a whole new level, but a few years ago when Alabama was trailing Ole Miss, I think it was like twenty-four to three at one point during a game. It, you know, this one Lane Kiffin was the offensive coordinator. Alabama settled down. They started to put drives together. They were able to score quickly. They ultimately came back and won a barn burner. But when you have those sort of playmakers, you can get down by two or three scores in the first half and at least think, all right, we've got to pull it together, but we at least have a shot. There are a lot of teams in college football where if they're down by three scores at halftime, there's, there's no hope in the locker room. And when you're still trying to be in, when you're still trying to develop your offense and you're still in the stages of figuring out who your big playmakers are going to be and what are your go-to plays in the playbook, it's you're still trying to get to that point where you can gain that confidence. And here's the thing. Josh Heupel is aware that his offense is not where he wants it to be. That's why Joe Bilton was still throwing passes in the fourth quarter. So Heupel is aware. It's not that the coaching staff is thinking, well, we won 38-6, to six. we blew this team out, we're all set, let's go home. Heupel is, is fully aware that his team has some work to do, and it has a big test coming up against Pitt at Neyland Stadium next Saturday. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be a a huge game. And, you know, Josh Heupel has this track record of developing quarterbacks. And, you know, I always said, you know, okay, first of all, Joel, I'll admit it. I had Pittsburgh as a loss just based off the fact of where I don't think that this offense is going to be anywhere remotely close to where Josh Heupel wants it to be. And especially with that defense, which, you know, I texted you and Eric Kane about this during the game. I said, you know, this defense, they, they played good. They played solid. I thought Theo Jackson had a really good game. I was very yeah. surprised with his play. And the defensive line, for the most part, looks very good as well. Um, they're going to give up some yards on defense. And I think Josh Heupel, he knows that. And it's kind of, you know, he's trying to expedite the process. That's why Joe Milton was left in the game so late where where you could argue, you know, maybe put Hendon Hooker in, maybe a driver too early, maybe throw Harrison Bailey in a driver too early. I think he's trying to get some continuity on offense because that's something that we haven't seen with Tennessee. Jeremy Pruitt like to rotate got rotate offensive linemen against Georgia State, lose that game, rotate quarterbacks, rotate receivers. Ultimately, yes, I get that you want to try to build depth. Tennessee was not able to do that on Thursday night, which is very disappointing against against a very, very bad bowling green team. I think Josh Heupel, he's just trying to expedite the process of building an offense that says, okay, we can go and score with, you know, teams like Kentucky, teams like Missouri, maybe a team like Pittsburgh. Because let's be honest, Joe, you're not going to score with Florida, Georgia, Alabama in year one. You're just not going to do it. So I like Hypel to be able to eventually get to that maybe down the road. It's still not going to be where he wants it in year one because he just flat out doesn't have the players that he wants in the system right now. And there are some lack at quarterback as far as, you know, reading but ultimately, down the line, I just think right now the offense is not where he needs it to be and where this team needs it to be, especially with that defense that's going to give up a ton of yards and a ton of points in games this year. And I and you mentioned talked about scoring with teams. I think Ole Miss is another school that you have to look out for. Oh, yes. With, I mean, with I, mean I put Kiffin. that in, in, in the loss category right there with Florida, Alabama, Georgia, based I, I think, off the fact that they score a ton of points. I think it's the fourth toughest game on Tennessee's I schedule. Agree. And 
could Tennessee go out and win? Yeah, because we've we've also seen Matt Corral self implode right. against teams that they should be better than. And I know, and here's okay, just a, a sidebar. The idea of transitive property with coaches facing each other from different programs is a really stupid argument. Um, because we used to hear it all the time. Well, Dooley's a better coach than Butch because Dooley beat Butch when he was at Cincinnati. I'm sorry. Cincinnati is a Big East team. Yeah, it's not that, a great a football much, yeah. program. It's a much better program now. And and Tyler Bray, a much better quarterback than Munchie Lego. Sorry. Same thing. Well, Heupel's already beaten Kiffin. You mean when Kiffin was at Florida Atlantic and Heupel was at Central Florida? Those programs aren't comparable. They're both in the group of five. They're not comparable. Central Florida, I think Central Florida is a future Power 5 conference team somewhere or a super conference team or whatever. Probably in a couple of years, yeah. With how big that university <laughs> yeah. is, they, they, they should not be a group of five team. And yeah, I know they almost lost to Boise State the other night. That, that, is, a, that is a program that if you get it the right resources, put it in the right conference, they are going to be able to do great things. They will have a lot at their disposal, and now they've got a really good head coach yeah, in Gus Malzahn. Like yeah. That's going to happen. I mean, I, they're going to the Big 12. It's hard to imagine it not. I I think for so just the the transitive property idea is just silly to me because that that to me does not define who a better coach is. I mean, who's a better coach, Butch Jones or Steve Spurrier? I would say the uh, good old head ball coach, the old head ball coach. You know, a even top three the, even, coach in my life. Even though Butch was two and one against him. Well, yeah, I mean, you got a point. So, yeah, I don't I don't think uh, I don't think Tennessee fans are wanting Butch Jones to come back. What do you think? We'll we'll give our takes as well. Have your expectations changed for the season? Is your outlook any different after watching Tennessee beat Bowling Green on Thursday night? 656-9900. We've got one more hour of Saturday Sports Talk remaining before we get you to the fastest two hours of radio with the lead live coming up at 10 o'clock. With Logan Ward, I'm Joel Silverberg right here on Saturday Sports Talk on The Sports Animal.